Welcome to the Rawls Group Succession Palooza. In this episode, we are celebrating what we are seeing currently in multiples, sector trends, and future expectations as we continue to navigate COVID and the increase of consolidation across industries. Listen to this discussion with Dan Gavin with Bernstein Private Wealth Management, Michael Rosendahl with PCE Investment Banking, and our very own succession planner, Lloyd Rawls, to hear how to turn obstacles into opportunities. Here we go. Hello, Michael. Uh, can you please share a little bit about yourself and PCE? Sure. Uh, I've been working as an investment banker for over 20 years, and I currently head PCE's investment banking operations. Uh, we, I spend most of my time working with business owners who are looking to sell their business, but also uh, help companies that are looking to grow through acquisitions. You know, PCE has been uh, a middle market investment bank for over 25 years. Uh, we were founded in Winter Park, Florida. Um, and you know we were founded with the purpose of providing high-level advice to groups that weren't used to getting it. The, the people who founded PC had owned businesses, and when they sold them, they struggled to find the people who could help them. And so that was sort of where we how we were founded. We have grown. We now have an office in Mount Tristwater Park. We're also in Chicago, Atlanta, and I'm just outside of New York City in Ridgewood, New, New Jersey. The areas where we spend most of our time is we do a lot of work in construction and building products, uh, food and ag, uh, business services, transportation and logistics, and in in the industrial sector. Thank you so much. And hey, Dan, thanks for being with us. Can you share a little bit about yourself and Bernstein? Thank you. Yes. Uh, My name is Dan Gavin. I'm a principal and senior investment advisor with Bernstein. Uh, Bernstein is an investment firm uh, that works with multi-generational families, business owners, um, and individuals across the U.S. As uh, an investor and investment advisor, my job is to get an excellent understanding of our client's point of view, their uh, owner motivation and perspective, if you will, uh, and build highly customized investment portfolios around those goals. Thank you, Dan. And Lloyd, uh, a.k.a. Dr. Merlot, a.k.a. Dad, uh, could you please share a little bit about yourself and the Rawls Group? Oh, thank you, Kendall. I am the uh, husband of Pat, the father of Amy Kendall and Champ, and the founder of the Rawls Group. Certainly not as uh, specialized and technologically advanced as uh, certainly Michael and Dan are. I know that both of them to be semi-geeks. But I am a succession planner, and as a succession planner, I work closely with wealth managers, merger and acquisition specialists like Mike, because it's the circle of life of businesses. We all uh, endeavor to form a business and keep it into uh, perpetuity, but things happen. And uh, things happen like... um, you uh, develop capital through the efforts of uh, a Dan Gavin and Bernstein, and you go shopping and you need someone to help you buy those businesses. Or you travel the succession trail and find out that um, you don't have a real passion for succession, that you feel that uh, you don't have the committed, capable successors uh, that you would like to pass the business to. And for your own 
personal financial independence for your the, the pursuit of your own dream, you decide that the sale of the business is a viable succession option. So that's why we have so much connectivity with these uh, these additional professions that augment what we do, and in so doing, we endeavor to augment what they do. We we work uh, in all situations as a team uh, because. Most business owners are looking to grow. They need connections for growth. And most business owners understand that they need to keep dry powder. So they also need connections with wealth managers who can keep their uh, capital uh, earning at its highest capability while let's say it's, it's uh, being held in reserve waiting for good opportunities. So Lloyd, to kick this off, um, if a business is looking to uh, transition to and through the next generation, why would business acquisitions be uh, an important aspect of succession planning? Great question, Dan. There's all kinds of growth. Uh, you can look at my stomach and tell that. Uh, there's also internal growth, external growth, there's systemic growth, and then there's just basically entrepreneurial drive. And, and I believe that uh, business owners who are spending the uh, the real dark 30 to dark 30 time uh, protecting their market, uh, building uh, their their name, uh, building the culture, they really don't have time to get out into the marketplace. And you might say, well, why do they need to get out in the marketplace? Well, opportunities are around us everywhere. And if we don't take advantage of those opportunities, somebody else will. And what you may think is a secure business one day, tomorrow may not be because hey, somebody has grown into your area. What is the best defense for your business? Well, the best defense is a good offense. Uh, also, most business owners understand that the greatest return on their capital is redeployed into another enterprise, which they understand, which they can impact personally, versus relying just totally on the investment markets. Investment markets offer an excellent return, but they don't offer the return that internally businesses do. And that's why every business owner I know is looking for growth. Uh, if they can take care of it internally, that's a beautiful thing. But typically that is not the case. And if they're looking to fulfill that entrepreneurial drive, they've got their heart, or they're looking for more opportunities because they've got more children than they've got business, or they've got more key managers than they've got business, and they've got to look elsewhere. And I can assure you, if you don't create the opportunity for those key managers, those people who are making you money today, they're going to go somewhere where they'll have that challenge. They'll have that opportunity. And that's why growth is important in the family business. So Lloyd, if I'm, if I'm a multi-generational family and I just heard what you said, and I totally agree, what are some of the main important things I need to do before an acquisition to, to get ready or ready the business for something like that? Good question. Uh, it really defies the concept of ready, fire, aim. What do you need to do before? You're, you need to aim. You need to think in terms of what kind of business would do I need to purchase? What would be the size? What would be the location? And what's going to be the capital requirements? Uh, size, um, that's got to be matched with your capital. Location, a lot of business owners don't understand that if you um, have got some travel to make, 
to another management opportunity, it really degrades your management capability. I've always said that excellence plus 100 miles is mediocrity. And if you're looking to manage a business, you need to figure out where it's going to be and how you can apply your management resources to that business. You got to inspect what you expect. And if you're planning to buy a business and not be there to make sure that it's following your, your plan, it's following your strategy, it's complying to your culture, you better not do it. You, you, you should keep that money somewhere where it's not going to be challenged because being there is important. Being able to afford what you're going to buy is important. And being able not to rely on the banks too heavily because the banking cycles will come. I mean, the, the cycles of good, the cycles of bad. And if you are not, if, if you are too heavily relied on the banks, it's going to be problematic. And that's why you need to aim. You need to think, you need to plan, and you need to strategize with regard to your resources, your time. Can I get to this location? Can I manage it appropriately? Your people, do I have the people that can go and run this opportunity for me and my money? Can I afford it? Will I maintain the capital reserves for the good times, the bad times? And can, and do I, and can I stay in a reasonable relationship with the banks and not jeopardize the mother load? That's pretty interesting, Lloyd. Um, how should, you know, there's a follow-up. How should a uh, multi-generational business plan ahead for an acquisition and what do you think are the key things that they they need to have in place to really be successful? Well, Mike, as I mentioned earlier, I think they have to have the resources for growth, time, people, and money. A growth opportunity is a time suck. I mean, you've got to have the time to study the capability of it. You got to have the you got to have the time to devote to closing that business, to doing the due diligence, and then you've got to have the time to go operated. You can't do everything yourself, so you got to have the people. You got to make sure that the people are there and that they have your heart. They're going to be an hour and a half away. You want them to be able to represent you in their thinking and in their actions and in their motives. And you got to have the money. Uh, we can't rely too heavily on the banks. Bank money's cheap right now. Everybody is looking to borrow money. The banks are calling up everyone. They want to make sure that all their money gets deployed. Uh, this is going to change. I assure you it's going to change. And the times are going to come when it, there's going to be pressure, not for the banks to loan the money, but for the banks to get back the money. So I think a family, a multi-generational family has got to sit down and assess their resources. Just, hey, what have we got here? And are we ready for the additional stress? It's tough. When you buy a business, it's, I've heard it said many times, we don't make money till the third year. I don't accept that, but it's a lot to be said. And if you're not going to make money till the third year, you really want to sign up for that grind? And someone definitely needs to have, be the champion of that business. It can't be just a group think. Somebody's got to really put their passion into this acquisition and be there, feel it, live it, cry with it, celebrate with it, know the people, know the community. And if all you're thinking is you're going to delegate that to a non-family member, I think you need to think twice. Because somebody 
within the core family, the ones who are the protected of the values, protected, protected of the culture, they need to be there too. Because it's it's great when you have a core, a key value, a key manager of the caliber who can represent you unequivocally and everywhere you go. But it's rare. And I would inspect what I expect. I would want to have a family member with the passion, in addition to the time, people, and money, that I'm going to make that business work. It's not just a function of dollars and cents, not just a function of return. It's also a function of a passion. I agree with you about the people. It's probably the most uh, critical element of any acquisition. But, you know, it always comes down to the financials and, you know, what do the numbers tell you? And so from a financial standpoint, what do you what do you see as the key financial considerations um, that you would recommend a multi-generational business review and understand uh, before doing a deal? Well, I think the unencumbered capital that I have to put into a business would be my number one criteria. Um, am I going to be totally dependent on the banks to make this successful? If I'm relying on a total leverage buyout, to me, that's a precarious affair. Uh, so my major, my primary concern financially is how much capital do I have that can I put into that business so that I have a reasonable partnership with the bank, not a total dependency upon the bank. Um, beyond that, it's can I re, can I manage that uh, debt? Can I amortize the debt in a in a reasonable, uh, pragmatic way? Do I have enough reserves so that if interest rates go down or if profits go down, uh, how can I respond to that? Um, so um, I think it's a function first of the capital, and secondly, do I have the uh, reserves that I can withstand ups and downs in the market, um, loss of key customers, loss of key managers, all the kind of things that can happen during an acquisition. I'm also almost thinking, I know you've got to be, it's a competitive environment to go out and buy a business, but I think in terms of, um, you know, what can go wrong? And I want to have a very, very good um, understanding of what can go wrong and I want to be able to do an acid test to make sure that I can survive what can go wrong. You know, Lloyd, I think the reserve capital is hugely important, but I guess I'm thinking now a question, Mike, to you is once a business reaches that inflection point and they want to make an acquisition from a, I guess, a finance, a finance standpoint, what are some of the key considerations that, that you would, you would uh, emphasize? Sure. Well, when you continue making an acquisition, there are a number of criteria you should be looking at, and just at a high level. You know, first, you know how much how much of an investment do you need to make? I mean, you know, to Lloyd's point, you got you have to put some equity in there. You can use some debt, but what's the combination? What does it look like? Uh, you know, how long will it to take for you to start getting a return? You know, if this is going to be a very long investment, you know, you have to take that into consideration, and you know. That can really impact, you know, is it worthwhile? And then what is the expected return on this investment? You know, what are you going to be getting? Is this the best use of your capital? And are you getting the kind of return that's going to really make your business more valuable? And, you know, back back to Lloyd's point, I mean, do you have the people who can manage this investment? So if you're making an acquisition, do you have the people who can step in from your business 
who can really manage it or are there people at the company you're acquiring that you trust to continue to run the business? Because if you don't have good people at the top, it's going to be very difficult to make that that acquisition uh, successful. And then, you know, maybe most importantly, is do you have the energy and the drive to see this through? Because, you know, if you're sort of at the uh, end of your career, you might not want to under, you know, put in the effort and the work that it takes to make it successful. Uh, and if that's not the case, if that's the case, then uh, that then it might not be the be the best move for you. And I'd say if you're answering no to a lot of those questions uh, that I just went through, it's probably the time to sell because, you know, if you're not going to be growing, um, you need to put the business in, in the hands of someone who can help it grow uh, and and really get the most value out of it today. Because, you know, when buyers see a company that's um, stagnating, it uh, it can have an impact on value. So, Mike, if I'm a business owner and I'm thinking about selling, what's the timeline between when I make my decision and typically when I could expect to have a close? Assuming that my business is is reasonably attractive, that there are no buyers for my business. Sure, there's no buyers for your business today, and you're looking to make an acquisition. You know what? What the, the timeline? You know, it's you know usually we say it's probably about going to take one to three years between, you know, buying something and selling something because you need to, you need to integrate the business and that you need to integrate successfully. And that takes time. You got to realize the cost savings that you planned on getting when you, uh, when you thought you were going to acquire the business that you would, you would realize you need to implement that growth plan. You know, it's what's that incremental sales benefit that you're going to get, not just adding their revenue to yours, but there needs to be some way that you're going to take the sum of, both your operations and make it an even larger revenue um, generating business. And, you know, how long it takes you to be successful with that is really going to impact, um, you know, when, when to sell, when you should sell after making an acquisition. Well, Mike, if I wanted to sell, how much time does it take me to sell my business and what kind of costs should I expect to encounter? Sure. So if you want to sell your business um, from the day you hire someone, it usually takes six to nine months. You know, six would be a very fast process. Nine months would be uh, probably more towards normal. Um, you know, and there's a number of steps that can can really impact the timing throughout the sale process. It's usually in the beginning when you're gathering the data. Um, you know, how much will you know? What are the, what are the costs? You know, um, I'd say the big costs you're going to have are going to be uh, your you know, hiring an investment banker, although the investment banker usually uh, defers most of their their expense until they uh, until the deal closes. So you'd only have what you're paying up front. Um, you'd have the legal costs, uh, which would vary depending on the size and the complexity of your business. And then you probably would have need to get some accounting help uh, to help you get you prepared and get through the accounting um, due diligence when they do a quality of earnings review. And those are the three really big areas, and there's sometimes there are other costs that, that go along with it. Uh, actually, we've written a good article and uh, that's on our website that talks about the different different costs of um, the cost of what it will cost to sell your business. So Mike, I have a question. Um, if how would you describe the M and A market today? Uh, what do valuations look like, and maybe is there anything you can share with us on what you might see for 2022? Sure. 
So right now it's probably been as busy as has ever been <laughs> since I've been uh, in, been working at M&A. Everybody is working to uh, try to close a deal this year because they don't want to take a chance of taxes going up next year and impacting you know what their net proceeds would be. Uh, as a result, you know there are a lot of companies that are in the market, but there are also a lot of buyers. And you know for the companies that are, have really performed well or bounced back through through COVID, uh, the multiples are are very strong. You know that varies by industry what the multiples might be, but you know you're you're getting a premium today. What do we expect for 2022? Uh, I, we still expect it to be really active because there are. Uh, still a lot of buyers out there who are looking to put capital work, whether that's uh, a strategic buyer who just happens to have a fair amount of cash on their balance sheet and access to cheap debt, or you got all the private equity groups that are looking to, looking to put a lot of their, their capital uh, to work over the next few years because they need to start investing the money so they can start building the companies and then realize it in the latter half of their funds. So we're, we have high expectations going into 2022. So Dan, if I've sold my business, um, proceeds arrive at my bank. I mean, you've been involved in this process before, Dan. Typically what happens when all this money comes in and now it's time to redeploy? Uh, first thing you do is lay out a plan. Um, and it, it's that simple is let's, sit down and organize what the plan looks like going forward. So first of all, you know, what do we need uh, by way of cash in the short term for taxes? Um, are there any mortgages to pay off? Um, any property to buy? Um, you know, college education. How about that boat? <laughs> That's right. Make it a big one. Yeah, um, big boat, yeah. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of um, you know charity out there that uh, clients care deeply about, as well as kids and grandkids. And so, what short-term needs uh, are out there, and then a plan then starts with the the core capital. We call it core capital. Uh, how much money uh, do you need to live comfortably, spend comfortably, plus inflation um, for the rest of your lives, and and build that core portfolio and have that plan your one, year two, year three, five, 10, 15, 20, um, and, and map out lifestyle spending. And you want that spending to increase over time for inflation. Um, and basically build a forward looking forecast year by year to make sure that the, uh, the financial resources are there to support um, uh, the client uh, going into the rest of their lives. Do you find that most of your clients, Dan, are ready for this? I mean, does this, is this something that's simple or is it an educational process? Does it take time? Do you just immediately invest the money or do you do it um, uh, in, in a step process? Just how does that typically work? I would say the answer to the question is it's simple and complex at the same time. Um, typically, the numbers work out really well. And the numbers is the easy part. The hard part is a cultural shift moving from operating a business to living off of an investment portfolio. And, you know, I spend a lot of time with clients, you know, helping to 
shift the mindset from running a business to to, to spending. Um, and then, of course, you know, when it comes to um, investing, a lot of clients choose to deploy their capital into the markets over time. We always advocate for broad and and um, diverse. Uh, diversified asset allocations spread across many different asset classes and geographies. Uh, the whole idea there is to get some attractive returns while managing risk. And so, um, you know, the, from a financial standpoint, the amount of money, the spending, uh, that tends to be the easy part. It's the, it's the discussion around how do you, you know, how are you going to do in the next 20, 25 years not running a business. And that certainly has its, its blessings and it has its challenges. That's interesting. Once an acquisition is complete, uh, then, you know, what personal financial financial planning needs um, to be done? Yeah. So what, so once a multi-generational business acquires a new company, um, you know, there are several things that, that you want to do. First of all, you want to take a step back and reassess. Where are you at? Um, and you know, when, when a family buys a company, that new company might be a risk asset or it might be a security asset. Some people view their privately held company as the risky asset and some view it as the safe asset. So when you acquire a new business, what, what category does it go into security or risk? And then when that new company now is on your balance sheet, you want to reassess your overall positioning. And, and that may require you to make some asset allocation adjustments in your personal portfolio. So you want to reassess your overall asset allocation in the context of this, of this new business. And then you want to look at your income. All right now on a quarterly and annual basis, how much then are you now planning to save and how much money then can you accumulate outside uh, of the business? And, how much money do you need and when will you need it to support your lifetime spending? And then the last point I'll, I'll make, which I think is, is hugely important, is what does, what does the uh, 401k plan look like now? You've got a whole new company coming in. You've got a lot of new employees. Now might be the right time to uh, assess ERISA law um, and the terms of your 401k plan and look for areas of cost savings and investment improvement in, in consolidating a, uh, a 401k plan for your existing employees and for the new employees as well. Um, if I may go back, I have a follow-up question. Um, you know, Lloyd and Mike, you both talked about the importance of human capital, having the, the resources to run uh, a business. Do you guys see uh, any examples where a family business will make an acquisition um, and one of the main goals is to get new talent or get new people um, into the family business? I can offer a reverse perspective to that, um, but it speaks to the same thing. I had a client at one time who wanted to sell to a very well-known entrepreneur. The entrepreneur was very active in this industry. And uh, the uh, entrepreneur went and visited the businesses, walked all through the businesses, um, got a feel for it, and then came back to the, to the owner and said, um, with all due respect, I'm not interested. And the reason he wasn't interested was because he said, 
you know, I'm buying management. And what I see here is an escape that you're trying to escape this business because you don't have any new bench strength management to take over for these people. And if I bought your business, I'd have the same problem you've got. You don't have, you haven't been investing in your managers. You don't have the people who can sustain this business and to go out and recruit them is just a job. It's an effort that I'm not interested in. Uh, that's a, a black way of answering your question, Dan, but the people component of acquisitions is incredibly important. And it's not only that you have the people that you can apply to it, but you also make sure that the people you're buying have their heart in that business. That business has a culture that you are compatible to and that there is talent there that you can develop because there's just nothing more valuable to a business than talent. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I've seen it. Um, yes, there are companies that are out there and they're looking to make acquisitions and they're looking to bring talent into, into their business through acquisitions. But on the other end, you know, when we're selling companies, the universe of buyers grows significantly when you have a deep management team and, um, you, you and you've made that investment in people because it, it shows in the way your, your business is run and it also broadens the universe of buyers. Uh, which as a result will increase the value of your business. So sometimes people don't see the need to make an investment in people, but it's probably one of the, the, the smartest investments any, anybody, any business owner can make. So Mike, what are the hottest sectors today uh, in the M&A field as far as businesses goes? Sure. Well, you see a lot of like the, I would say the traditional ones, you know, like tech and healthcare, you know, what's going on in the world. It's those, those segments are still incredibly busy. And, um, and, you know, and, and the activity is, is very, very strong, but you're also seeing a fair amount of activity in uh, business services and industrial services, uh, industrial manufacturing. I mean, the, the, there's a, a lot of activity in those segments. And also I would say logistics has become even more critical in this environment. And you're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of activity in that space as well. Hey, Mike, I have a question. Um, having been in this business uh, a, a long time, uh, how are you seeing um, businesses adapt to the whole pandemic and uh, travel and work from home? Um, have you seen some closely held businesses adapt pretty well and some not very well? Uh, yes, I'd say some of the, the people, have, most of the people we've seen that have adapted well, um, they're, well, I'd say I've seen people in, in industries that have continue to perform, you know, it was much easier for them to adapt about how they were going to operate through, throughout this period. And, but for the companies that were in segments that were hit particularly hard, you've seen them, the ones that have performed well, the ones who reacted quickly. And, and unfortunately I had to look at how do they cut costs pretty quickly to, to salvage the business. Um, and, you know, you saw that in the beginning of, of the pandemic, there were pretty significant uh, job losses, but uh, you know, the good ones, you know, they, they put in, you know, no matter whether in a performing or non-performing sector, they figured out how to, how to get people working, whether, you know, depending on the business, whether it's remotely or bringing them back to the office, but if they're bringing them back to the office, how do we do it safely? Um, and those kinds of companies that have, have 
reacted well during this period. You know, you see, you you see all the indicators. They've got the good people, they got the good management, and they have a good culture that they know they know how to take care of their people, and that helps make them successful. So, Lloyd, so question I'm thinking about. So, we've got a multi generational family now. Understands the importance of acquisitions. They've got a good understanding of what they need to do before an acquisition. Mike and his team have just walked them through all the industry metrics and the sectors, and they've just bought a business. Um, I'm assuming that these families don't ride off into the sunset. Once you once you acquire um, a business within a family-owned company, you know what are the you know what next? Well, actually, my response would be, well, well what happened before? Uh, and the reason being is that I believe that every business acquisition needs to be based upon a strategy. And uh, that strategy really begins well before the closing, back when you're sourcing funds. And call it an action agenda, call it a strategy, but it's a well thought out step-by-step process that covers at least the first year of that business as to how new owners are going to learn the business and how new owners are going to learn the people of the business and how the new owners are going to learn the market of the business. You typically buy a business because it's a good buy. I think the first thing you want to do is don't screw it up. And therefore you shouldn't be running through the showroom or the factory with the hair on fire. You should be observing, learning, and adapting according to a plan that everybody understands. Or you you think you might know that business before you close on it, but when it's yours, now you really begin to know it. And I think it's based on having a plan to know the business, to know the people, and to know the customers. And then if you've got any ambitious plans as to how you want to expand and grow that business, that's when you start. But it needs to be according to, a, you know, what's next? Well, it's the next item on the action agenda. It's the next item on the strategy that was well thought out before you ever bought the business. Uh, what do you think? I think Lloyd made a number of, of very good points. And, you know, I would say, you know, you agree. You got to execute on that plan. You have to go into the, when you close that deal, you have to have a plan about what you're going to do. And of course, you got to be able to adapt it when you, when you, as you get smarter. So it's really, how do you execute on the sales side to, to grow that revenue at both companies? Um, how do you eliminate those unnecessary costs that you know become redundant when you make an acquisition and make the company more profitable? Um, what are the gaps that need to be filled at the company you just acquired? Could it be they need stronger IT, you know, additional hires to make that help them grow and really succeed on uh, succeed and become a larger entity? Uh, you need to go into it and have an idea of where you need to spend money and where you can save money. So that you can really realize the uh, the the investment you just made. As a closing thought, I would want to add um, one important concept that I think is very important to buying or selling a business, and it's basically why. I encounter a lot of 
prospects encounter a lot of clients who say they want to buy a business or sell a business. And my first question to them is why? What's your purpose? What are you trying to accomplish? Is that purpose well communicated? Is that purpose well understood? And is that purpose accepted? I find that far too many businesses were sold or excuse me, were purchased because of ego. And there really, really wasn't a purpose. There wasn't a strategic purpose for growing the platform, for growing the foundation, for creating alternate products and services, for diversifying, for whatever your reason might be. There was not a just valid, strong, profound business purpose for doing it. I really believe that the sale of a business is a valid succession alternative. And I really believe that all healthy businesses must think in terms of growth. Therefore, acquisitions are part of their thinking. With that, I'm just pleased to be associated with two guys who do such an outstanding job in their two areas. Dan, your comments? Yeah, in closing, I would say from a personal investment standpoint, once um, a family buys a new company, that's the time to reassess um, your assets and adjust and refine your overall allocation uh, of investments. And then, you know, re-level set the plan, moving money, saving money personally outside of the business and reassessing when you'll need that money uh, over time. And of course, uh, looking at the 401k plan is going to be uh, important as well. So um, it's an honor to be uh, working with uh, Lloyd, you and Mike and Kendall. And uh, Mike, what do you have uh, by way of closing thoughts? Well, I'd say, you know, there are a lot of businesses out there that don't ever consider uh, making acquisitions because uh, it's sort of an unknown world to them and they see lots of risk. I think that uh, there were a lot of a lot of good information that was provided here today that could help minimize that risk. Because if you're a business owner and you need to think about ways to grow, and sometimes you know people always talk about buy versus build, and you know building is not the right answer, and the right answer can be made uh, is is an acquisition, and you shouldn't eliminate potential avenues for growth just because it's the unknown. You know, find the people who can help you be smarter and get through the process. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to thank the two of you for including this. This has been a lot of fun. And I uh, hope we provide people some some really helpful information. Thank you as well. So I've never seen a business owner who could buy based on anticipated revenue without just ultra leveraging his business. Consequently, most business owners who want to grow have to develop a disciplined plan of developing capital Yes. versus spending all the income on lifestyle or on um, family or on plant. There has to be a disciplined approach to building some independent capital that can be applied to an acquisition. Uh, Dan, this is your forte. Could you give us a couple of comments on that? It is, and it's based on the motivation and personal characteristics of the ownership team. And the key word you said was discipline. On a month-by-month, quarter-by-quarter, year-by-year basis, the disciplined approach of shifting capital to um, either the owner or to a corporate account 
that um, is you know very conservatively invested and, and liquid and ready uh, to be used to purchase a company, and and that that's how it's done. And, and it's there's there's not a fancy approach. There's not um, an easy way to do it. I will submit to you that having the discipline to not take as big of a personal bonus versus deploying capital into a, a savings uh, plan for acquisition um, takes fortitude and it, it takes discipline and it takes uh, some time. But you know, if you do that for uh, a few years and you buy a target company that is, you know, very additive to the family balance sheet, you know, the dividends are just going to keep, you know, keep rolling in. So it's discipline, it's time and uh, monitoring. So Mike, in the development of this acquisition reserve in business parlance, dry powder, how important is having some equity to put in the deal to achieving financing? I think it's pretty important unless you have a, a highly under leveraged uh, balance sheet, the banks are going to want to see you put some some cash into the deal. Uh, and it's also just probably a, a good business move to make sure you're not paying paying uh, using all debt. And but I mean, that will depend on the size of the acquisition relative to your company and you know how your balance sheet is structured today. I just thought those needed to be asked. So I think you know, I think that will be a good additive to what we have. Well, thank you all for your time and and uh, expertise and knowledge. Wow, what a great discussion from our experts. Consolidation has been a trend for some time now, and COVID has picked up activity even more. Having a pulse on M&A activity and how industries or sectors are impacted are critical to maximizing opportunities towards fulfilling your vision. Want to take action but not sure where to start? Contact either Dan, Michael, or Lloyd at the email addresses listed on the screen. And leverage your succession readiness survey. A seven-minute investment in time will put you in an informed position of opportunities many business owners overlook, impacting business value, growth, lifestyle, and ultimately achieving your vision. In our next episode of the Succession Palooza, we will discuss what you need to know before and after acquiring a new business. Continue listening to the series now or come back for more. Each topic featured may want you to learn something new.